You know, I think hustlers believe that they can compartmentalize things. And I think that that's absolute fallacy because everything we do affects every other part of our life. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and myself, James Carberry, focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better every single day. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. My name is Carlos Hidalgo. I am the CEO of Vision CX and author of the Un-American Dream. I want to thank Sangram today for, again, lending me the microphone. And today I have a guest that is my absolute favorite guest of all time. She also happens to be my wife, my business partner, an amazing woman, and the mother of four amazing children. Suzanne Justice Hidalgo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Carlos. Anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think that was pretty good. I thought so. I thought it was a pretty good introduction. You could have maybe gone on a little bit longer about me. Yeah, that is true. We could do a whole podcast just about that. Well, on today's podcast, what we're talking about is this idea of the American dream and how, in many respects, it's become quite un-American. And it all stems from the book that is coming out on June the 24th, The Un-American Dream which is really written for business leaders, entrepreneurs, really anybody in any stage of life who finds that they are being sucked into this perpetual treadmill and really just want permission to step off it. And in many respects, it's my story, having led an agency and started in 2005, and then kind of the perils that go along with that idea of success. And so Suzanne, as you and I have discussed before, to every business pursuit and for every entrepreneurial adventure, there's another side. And that other side is a relationship. And because of my pursuit, especially in the the first agency that we started in 2005, you lived that other side. So what was that like for you? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, in a word, I would say lonely. You know, I know when we first started things out with your first venture, the timing of it was perfect. Our youngest kid was going to kindergarten, so I was going to be going back to work and you'd be at home. You had been traveling extensively with the previous job. So it really was perfect timing wise. And we were all excited about it because it was going to keep you home and engaged at home and and not traveling right to the extent that you were which was really really extensive at the time and i think everybody starts these things out with really really good intentions and you did as well for sure but i think what starts out as this sort of team effort quickly dissolves and it becomes so all consuming and You know, it's really, really easy to make the people in your life and your relationships. It's easy to put those relationships on the back burner because the immediate needs of a company seem so 
you know, immediate. It has to be done now. It has to be taken care of now. And it's, it's really easy to put your family on the back burner or just, I feel like it takes on, it, it comes about very, very slowly. Like it's just an occasional late email here and there or an occasional missed dinner or, and it just sort of ends up snowballing and you get to a point where you look back and you're like, how did this even how did we get, get to this point? Yeah. Exactly. Cause it didn't, it didn't start out like immediately, like you were working 90 hours a week. It didn't start out that way. So I would say it just got very, very lonely because there was no, there was such a disconnect in our personal relationship. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's super important that it's more of a slow erosion. And you hit on something that was really interesting when you talked about the occasional missed dinner. And I know for myself and many other uh, business leaders, entrepreneurs, or, or what I will call extreme type A personalities, we think about the big event. Oh, am I going to be there for the concert? Am I going to be there for the birthday? And, and, and much to my chagrin, I started to miss a lot of those as well as time went on, but even things as precious as a family dinner or wrestling with your kids in the living room after dinner or reading them a story, those are things that are so that should be so cherished that we miss out on. So if you can just give a little highlight of what was that like? Cause you also saw it in our children where you knew I wasn't there you knew that I would kind of come in, literally do laundry, pack a suitcase and be gone the next day. So even things that weren't monumental, so to speak, but should be cherished and, and, and are such a opportunity for quality time. What was the impact on the family like that from your perspective? Well, I think my experience was, at least for our family and our children and myself, I think missing those seemingly mundane events were actually more detrimental than missing a concert or missing mm. a game. And I think we put way too much emphasis on those big things. Well, I, you know, I'm, I was there for the big game. I was there for, you know, their gymnastics meet, or I, you know, I didn't miss this and I didn't miss that. But when you're the real true connection and relationship is built in those times of, having dinner together and talking about your day and laughing a lot and wrestling with your kids and connecting by reading a story to them at night and tucking them in at night. Like I don't, I don't think we connect deeply as human beings by sitting in an audience at a concert and we connect much more deeply in those interpersonal ways. And so it was sad for me that those were the things that you were missing out on and it was more focused on well I'm there for the big things and you just couldn't see at the time the effect that that was having right and the mistake that I made looking back was excusing those things like making excuses for you with the children rather than allowing you to have to deal with that yourself with them and accept responsibility with it. And so I, I kind of always acted like as a buffer and that looking back, I wouldn't have done that if I had to do it over again. And, and as and like abdicating you from your responsibilities at home, like things that you should have been and were normally responsible for. I just went ahead and just picked up the slack thinking that that's what I was supposed to do. And then, you know, you get to a point where you 
stop feeling necessary at home. And then it makes it even easier for you to not be there and not be available because I mean, I was more than capable. It was hard, but I was capable of, of doing all those kinds of things. But I wish now that I had sort of let the chips fall a little bit, especially as the kids well, I mean, they, they expressed it in different ways all through their childhood and into adulthood. Like it, it came out in different ways. Right. Well, I remember too. I mean, one of the ways that manifested itself was Luke, who's our youngest, you know, when he was three years old, when I called from the road and he asked me where I was and I told him I was in a hotel, he hung up the phone with, you're always in a hotel. So I think w- what I'm hearing you saying is really the cultivation of those relationships happens and I love that what you what you said. It happens in the what we would deem as the mundane. Mm-hmm. Sitting on my side, I think it is very easy to go. Well, what I'm, I'm here for the the big events. And I hearken back to Keith Vanderweel, who we know and love, who's one of my mentors, who always used to say, if I'm given the opportunity of of quality time versus quantity time with my children, I'm always going to pick quantity because it, because it is within the quantity of time that the quality can happen. And I, I, unfortunately, I didn't always hearken to that advice, but I look at it now and I think uh, he is so right. So in, in I know we kind of went back a little bit. What else would you, if you knew uh, then what you know now, anything else that you wish you had done differently? And again, because this wasn't like a, hey, one night a week, I'm going to be, this was like a whole unhinged pursuit <laughs> of, to try to find success and really to try to find my identity, which we talked about in the book as well. But what else would you do differently? Well, I think you just touched on that by your question. I wish that I had had a better understanding of how much ego, self-worth, identity, and particularly for men is wrapped up in someone's career. Having, you know, not really had some big, established career at the time, you know, I I loved what I did and I did have a lot of identity tied to it. So I understand it to to some extent, but it was, it really was, there was a lack of understanding of how much that was tied to it. And just that, you know, how we as human beings can attach our identity to other people rather than finding it in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I know as a mom, uh, that's a really, really easy thing to do as well. We see it all the time, especially stay-at-home moms, especially ones that maybe have given up a career in order to stay home with your, their children. And we are so wrapped up in the success of our children because if our children are successful, then we are successful. Uh, and if our children do something wrong, we, we tend to, you know, we want to think that someone's a bad parent because their children made mistakes. And Side note, we have perfect children. You're exactly. <laughs> But it's so it is the same thing. It's just different. And I just I wish we had better communication about that Mm -hmm. and about identity and self-worth and and just our own understanding at 20 something years old, you know, and we're in our 40s now and have our much healthier human beings uh, just took a, a little hard road to get there. Yeah, I, I think that's that's such an important thing is, and you you said it, right? We attach our identity either to things or to people rather than finding it into ourselves. And I think, you know, from a writing perspective and your writing, and for those of you listening, Suzanne has a chapter in the book where we talk about that because I think it's it's something that 
really can plague us and get us off track. And I know for me, it was the more success I had, the more I had to achieve. Mm -hmm. There was just never enough, which kind of gets us into that, into this next question is this idea of hustle porn. And I heard somebody the other day say, you know, that the term cracks me up every time I hear it. To me, there's nothing funny about it because it's so destructive and so toxic. But when you think about some of the individuals out there that are publicly talking about work a 95-hour work week or six days a week, nine to nine, Jack Ma just came out with that, which is ridiculous and obscene in so many ways. But you, Suzanne, lived through it, again, on the other side, because I would, I would say today I am a recovering workaholic. <laughs> I used to believe that if I wasn't at the desk at five o'clock, if I wasn't checking email, I always had to be the guy who was available. So what, knowing that you lived on the other side, you saw me wrestle with it. You saw me kind of put that to death. And I still work hard. We still work hard. What would you say to those who are buying into it? I'd say whatever the payoff that you think you're going to have probably isn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen, you know, I'm always curious about when you hear about certain individuals that are, you know, wildly successful in the business world, like ridiculously successful. I always want to talk to their partners and a lot of them have a lot of failed relationships in their past. and. I think there's a reason for that because there's, you can't, you can't do all things and be all things to all people all the time. And I, I frankly just didn't understand it because who wants to do that 98 hours a week? Like I, I just couldn't understand it. And I couldn't understand the, you know, finding success and not being able to just sit and enjoy it for a minute without becoming consumed with the next thing. And that idea of just something never being enough, I just couldn't relate to that. You know, I'm, am more of a sit back and enjoy life content, enjoy simple things in life right. person. So I couldn't even relate to you on that level because I didn't understand it. And quite frankly, I thought it, I thought it was ridiculous. Like I just agree. Yeah. I just didn't understand it. So I'm always, you know, I never want to talk to the the big cheese person that's made all the money and had all the success. I always want to talk to the the people that are behind that person and see what life's been like for them. Because I I think if there are successful examples of that, I think they probably went through a couple of relationships to get there, yeah. figure that out, and and didn't succeed, quote unquote, to the extent that they did without doing some damage for sure in personal relationships. Well, and I think I look back at the, what I can convince myself, probably even more so deluded myself into believing what's important. And I'm thinking those were not things that I typically valued anyway. I think by and large, I'm pretty, pretty simple as well. Mm -hmm. And we now have a phrase where I talk about there is so much beauty and so much excitement in the mundane Mm -hmm. because I've been able to step off that treadmill, do a lot of work to, to find fulfillment and the things that bring true meaning and realize that there is beauty in the mundane. There is, it doesn't always have to be this sell your soul work at all hours. Again, we work hard, but I think there's, there's a, a defined place for that, which kind of leads me to the next thing we have. We have done a lot of work as business partners, as a couple and working with our clients and our partners 
and others in defining boundaries. So there's this idea everybody's familiar with of work-life balance, which if you read a lot of the research, you know, 70% of individuals uh, struggle with that. So it's really not successful despite the reams of articles that have been written. So we've adopted this approach to work-life boundaries, which I had to go pretty drastic because mm-hmm. of where I was coming from. So talk a little bit about that and what changes had to be made first and foremost to even get to a place to say, you know, let's forget work-life balance. That's not sustainable. Let's talk about work-life boundaries, which are more permanent and harder to be moved if they do indeed need to be moved. I think the first thing is just the open and honest communication that is continual and Mm -hmm. never stops. And this is kind of a tricky area for me because I'm not... First of all, I'm, I'm just naturally a pretty laid back person, naturally very accommodating. You know, I don't, you, you would never say I'm an ag. I'm not an ag. <laughs> not I, at all. So it's even you establishing boundaries has been so kind of foreign to me because if you need to do something, I'm like, yeah, sure, that's fine. You know, I just don't mm. get super riled up about things, but I did see the importance of us needing to do that. And there's also the, you know, I'm not a, I'm not going to police somebody else. Like I do believe in personal accountability. Like if you have certain boundaries that you are committed to, it's not my job to make sure that you are keeping those boundaries. Like you need to, you need to be keeping those for yourself. So I didn't want to be in a position where I'm like, wait, 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 you know, you said that we were going to do this. This is a commitment that you made. And I don't, I didn't want to do that, but I also needed to voice things in a reasonable way when things were sliding because again looking back we saw how slowly Mm -hmm. things eroded so i need to make sure that i wasn't doing that sort of thing again but also not policing you which i really really have no interest in doing whatsoever but i also think the my ask of you because you're right nobody wants to be micromanaged but my ask of you was Let's do this in community. And rather than you, me saying, hey, I need you to hold me accountable, let me be accountable to you. So I'm checking in with you to saying, hey, and, and my, my thought goes back to a late night call we had recently where we had discussed, hey, let's go do this as a family at this time. The client had a very small window to meet. So before we even responded, I said, hey, can we adjust? Can we work? So that's really me not saying to you, hey, we're going to do this, but it's, hey, I'm being accountable to you. And then you're giving me that honest feedback. Is True. That- yes. And I would say that's a huge difference. It was in the past, it was just, you knew my answer would be fine and yes and whatever. And it was more of a, it wasn't a two-way street. It no, was, it was your way. And I just went along with it, thinking that that's what I was the right thing to do. So, you yeah, know, there are, There are, I mean, I'd say our boundaries are pretty clear and pretty firm, but there are also times when, you know, when you're working with a client halfway around the world, you may have to adjust and take a call at at a time of night when you normally wouldn't, but there's always a discussion about it. And then there's a, because you had to do that, we will make up for it in another way. Like there's always a, something that's going to happen in place of that. Right. And we both are committed to not letting these things get away from us mm-hmm. at all. And so I think that that's huge 
difference than than our so-called balance in the past. They're really, it was balance in words only, I would say. Yeah. Balance in actions. I I would agree. I would say, I mean, honestly, it was, it was way off balance. And what's interesting is, is as we've talked to people about this and and we, I spoke about it in November at the, the TEDx Centennial Park Women, you have people who go, this is so unrealistic. This is, this can't be done. You don't understand. It's easy for you. You guys own your own business. But as we started kind of evangelizing this, we're finding people who either A, own their own business or in leadership in corporations or in the rank and file corporations saying, hey, we're adopting this. We're actually taking a proactive step. And so I think the, the, the other thing is to do it in community and either with your significant other, your partners, your deepest of relationships, your coworkers. And I'm finding managers saying, I'm getting more out of our staff, more out of our employees and our team when we allow this. And so I would I would say that we are, especially myself, I find myself much more effective in the work I'm able to do. My work product is better. And I know for a fact that relationally in all aspects, our life is better than when I was unhinged pursuit and kind of giving you and the family leftovers. Yeah, you were completely high strung all the time. Like you, there was no relaxing. Even when you were quote unquote relaxing, you could sense it. It was palpable. I mean, it just was this frenetic craziness. And there was, you know, I think hustlers believe that they can compartmentalize things. And I think that that's absolute fallacy because everything we do affects every other part of our life. Like all of our commitments take significant energy. And when energy is going into one thing, it's getting pulled out of another. Like it's not, we can't keep things in little boxes. And, you know, because our minds are always running around with something else. Like it's just that whole idea that compartmentalizing things, I think just absolutely doesn't work. Yeah. And and, um, if you ever want Real honesty, always, always go to your kids because my 17, <laughs> actually my six, then 16-year-old daughter busted me on that pretty good as well. So between a three-year-old and a 16-year-old, I got it handed to me on more than one occasion. And, uh, you know, that's, I'm not sure when we lose that childlike innocence, but I think we should all get to it. So one last thing, Suzanne, before we wrap up, as you write in the book, things weren't always so lopsided. Even, you know, when I think about early, early in our career, when we were dirt poor, we didn't even have money to, to to travel or do anything. And then I think about the times at McAfee and BMC where I was learning a ton, but I was on the road nonstop. And then to start to, to kind of re- hit the reset button. And there was a few years there with a notice where things were good. I was home and then it just like took off. So you, you mentioned it earlier. This wasn't like one morning we woke up and we're like, hey, we're going to. And it wasn't like one morning I woke up and said, hey, I'm just going to adopt this hustle mentality and grind until there's nothing left. So for those either who are susceptible or or doing the grind, hustle porn type of thing, or those on the other side, looking back, what are some warning signs that you would say, hey, if these things are happening, you really owe it to yourself and owe it to those committed relationships who most likely came far far before any business venture started what would you say to them, you know, here are some red flags to look out for? 
the first thing that comes to mind for me is that when words and actions don't meet up, mm. and I, I believe a hustler has good intentions. Like I don't believe that you say things and actually don't mean them when you say them. But I think sometimes like a hustler will say all the right words and really believe them and want them to be true. Yes. And then sometimes they actually believe that they're true when they're so far gone. They actually believe that they've done the things that they promised that they're going to do and they have it. And so I think when those things are, uh, when a lot of words are being said and the words sound really, really good, but no action is happening whatsoever, that's to me a huge red flag. And I think anytime relationships take a backseat, you know, whatever the reason. And I remember really distinctly when it was, when we would have conversations like, okay, like the family is going to kind of have to like, take a hit here because I need to be doing this. And I would say no to that. Now I would say I I'm not living in the backseat. Like there's no company or pursuit or success or whatever that should put your loved ones in an inferior position like that. Your personal relationships should be the most important. Mm -hmm. And I think they make you more successful when you have successful relationships. I mean, and we're seeing that now, like you're, like you said, your work product, everything is better because your personal relationships are better and your, your words and your actions are in line with each other. And, you know, I would rather, I mean, I would never want to go back to where you were just crazy. All oh, time. heck no. Even, <laughs> even if you, it meant you were more successful, which you weren't, you're actually far more successful now. So I think that's a big red flag. And I think for someone like, well, oh, and also not even when, when your partner can't remember conversations that you've had because they're really not listening to you. That for me was a red flag when you, you couldn't remember conversations that we had. And I knew it was because you actually weren't listening. And it's that whole idea of, you know, thinking you're compartmentalizing, you're not. And I think for me, I think when I find myself defending a hustler's behavior, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And there was a time you were gone. And I got in an argument with one of our adult kids. I can't remember how old he was, but he was an adult. And he was expressing just very valid hurt and anger and stuff over you being gone all the time. And and so we're getting in this argument and I'm defending you to the death. And looking back at that now, I'm like, oh my word, like we had this horrible exchange in this just, it, it was, it was horrible and it was affected our relationship. And the, the person that it was about wasn't even there, never even knew it happened. And I think, why, why did I do that? Right. If he felt the way that he felt, he should have been coming to you. I should have yeah. been like, I agree with you a hundred percent. We're going to have to sit down with your dad and have this conversation. Why was I defending mm-hmm. you and getting into it and, and hurting a relationship that I, I didn't have any business being a part of it. And per, you know, it was this weird protecting you. And I don't know, like, I just, to it me, that's a like, huge red flag yeah. now that I, I won't defend behavior anymore. Yeah, it was, it was it was definitely valid. And I want to just add to that because I've heard 
I've heard people who, much like me, were so focused on whatever they deem business success to be that when their loved ones expressed what my oldest child, that's who it was, Mm -hmm. our oldest child expressed or their spouse or significant other expressed, I've heard, I I wish they would just be more supportive. Let, Let me just tell you, they're not they're not not supporting you. They're not being unsupportive. All they're telling you is they want your availability and they want your presence. They want you. So it's actually a huge compliment when they come to you and say, we need to have a sit down. We need to have that come to Jesus so we can figure out a better balance, a better boundary led approach because they want you. And I, looking back, I know that's what my family wanted. They didn't give two wits about CEO, growing agency, <laughs> Inc. 5000s, anything like that. They just wanted me home when I could be home. And, and to just so you know, I still travel. But when I'm home and when I'm not working, I'm present and I'm available. And I think that's really what we need to take away. So we are at our time. Suzanne, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I appreciate you writing the chapter. You are amazing in every aspect of the word. And I love you dearly. Thank you. I love you too. Good. Well, thank you. I think that's probably the first time that has ever been uttered on the (laughs) Flip My Funnel podcast. But again, I want to thank Sangram and the folks at Terminus for giving us the microphone here. If you want to check out the book, it uh, we're going to be doing some pre-order work. You can find that at the un- americandream.com and the book will release on June 24th. Thank you everybody and have a great day. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.